he'd always tell me, you got to find the humor in life. He says it's there. It just depends on your, your attitude and approach as to how much you find. Welcome into Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nilsson. On today's show, I invited Rick Ames. Rick is a cowboy poet, and he is very good at it. For those of you who don't know what cowboy poetry is, you're about to find out. Rick came recommended by my wife, Whitney, who grew up listening to him recite cowboy poetry. I reached out, and he agreed to come on. So before I go any further, let's give it a listen. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Miles. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I'm honored to be asked. Uh, hopefully, uh, there will be an audience that enjoys some of the limericks that I share. As you said, I, uh, I was born and raised in Wyoming, northern Wyoming to be exact. There's not a lot going on up there, but the things that deal with cowboys and, and cows, and, <laughs> and uh, it's a great, it was a great place to grow up. I, uh, I loved it and always wished that I could raise my kids in the same environment, but, you know, life moves on and throws us some curves and it didn't work out that way. But I enjoy cowboy poetry from many different poets. There's a lot of them out there. Many of them have been on like uh, the Tonight Show uh, back when Johnny Carson was uh, the host. Uh, Waddy Mitchell is a famous one. Baxter Black is another one. It was a highlight when when they were on, we could watch them. But I can tell you, cowboy poetry, uh, uh, you know, the the world of the cowboy kind of started back in the in the cattle business days when they had to, they figured out they had to move those cows around to keep them in, in feed. In the mid to late 1800s was the heyday of the cowboy, and out on the out on the trail at night after the cows got the cows bedded down, sitting around the campfire with dinner, and it got a little boring. Cowboy poetry, cowboy singing, and storytelling was born. And that's kind of the the root of the genre. I don't do very many very old cowboy poems. Most of them are contemporary. But that's kind of where it all started, was to entertain one another. And so a cowboy's world was filled with just a few things, a few organic elements of life, uh, the horses, the cows, and things that they left on the ground and things that pertain to those those critters is uh, what they would write about. Some of them were very serious, but a lot of them were humorous. Cowboys had a lot of time to think. They're just moving cattle all day long, sitting on those horses, and and they have a lot of time to to think. In fact, uh, one of the poems I do is about a thinking cowboy who had a very important question. I'll share that with you now. The poem was written by Wallace McRae. He's a cowboy from Montana, and he calls it reincarnation. And if you don't know what reincarnation means, you'll have to figure that out to make sure you understand this poem. When one cowboy's talking to the other after he'd been pondering for a while, and he says, what does reincarnation mean? A cowpoke asked his friend. Well, his pal replied, it happens when your life has reached its end. They comb your hair and wash your neck and scrub your fingernails and lay you in a padded box away from life's travails. Now this box and you goes in a hole that's been dug into the ground. The reincarnation starts in when you're planted neath this mound. 
them dirt clods will melt down just like your box and you who is inside. And now you're just beginning on your transformation ride. And in a while, some grass will grow upon your rendered mound till one day on your moldy old grave, a lonely flower is found. And say a horse should wander by and graze upon this flower that once was you, but now has become your vegetative bower. Well, the posy that the horse done ate along with his other feed builds bone and fat and muscle essential to the steed. But some is left that he can't use, and so it passes through and finally lays upon the ground these things that once was you. And say by chance I wanders by and sees this things upon the ground. Well, I ponders and I wonders at these objects that I found. Well, I thinks of reincarnation of life and death and such. I come away concluding, Slim, you ain't changed all that much. <laughs> that's, so, a good one. that's real good. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of the, some of the cowboy humor dealing with the, the uh, organic matter that cowboys have to deal with. But uh, I enjoyed going out uh, on the ranches and uh, doing the branding. Uh, it's big, you know, ranchers all get together and they help each other brand their cows because it takes a lot of, lot of effort to round up the calves and, and bring them in and brand them and castrate them, dehorn them, vaccinate them. They got a lot to do to get that calf off to a good start. So it, it produces as, as well as it can. And it ends up making great burgers for all of us. And it's interesting how a lot of the world doesn't understand where that stuff comes from. It all starts right there. A lot of cowboys will do a poem about how people believe cowboy comes from cellophane that uh, they, they find it at the store and it's wrapped in cellophane and that's, that's where it starts. But it starts long before that. Of course I do a poem about a cowboy looking for a cow. He's looking for this cow cause it's wandered away from the herd and every cow matters. And so he's out looking for the, the cow and it's called a story with a moral and it's written by Waddy Mitchell, but it goes, um, I know there's things worse that make cowpunchers curse, and I reckon it's happened to us all. And though it's years since, you bet, when I think of it yet, it still makes my old innards crawl. Well, I was making a ride to bring in one hide that hadn't showed up in the gather. I was riding upstream, daydreaming a dream when I caused there was something the matter. Near some quaking asp trees, I'd caught in the breeze a stench that was raunchy and mean. I reckoned as how it might be that old cow. So I rode to a bend in the stream. Sure enough, that cow lied in that creek there and died. Hard telling how long she'd been there. She was bloated and tight. Twas a horrible sight. She was oozing and slipping her hair. Her eye sockets alive with maggots that thrive on dead flesh, putrid yellow and green. The hot sun burning down, turning pink things to brown spewing oily gunk into the stream. Well, I spurred up wind fast to get away from the blast of the heavy stench the cow made. And I felt bad, seeing how I'd lost that old cow. I pulled up near a tree in the shade. Then I got sick to the core, remembering just minutes before I'd done something that made me feel worse. You see, not 30 feet down, I'd stepped to the ground and drank till my belly near burst. 
for months after it, just the thought made me spit and I'd live it all over like a bad dream. And the moral, I think, if you must take a drink, never, ever dismount and ride upstream. <laughs> you know what's funny real quick? What's that? I have done that before in real life. <laughs> this kid I was with, he was like, Hey, if the water's white, it's clean. And we're all like seven. And so we're like, okay, and we're drinking it. And we walk upstream and there's this dead groundhog right in the middle of the ditch. And it was, oh, it was all bloated and everything. That is gross. <laughs> that's a good one. That was a good one. I like that one. Yeah, good. Yep. That's a, that, that one's called a story with a moral. So cowboys deal with it all. They have a life experience similar to, a you know, a kid in the city just there are different scenarios that surround them. They deal with confrontation and, and folks that don't like them and they have to learn life lessons. But I've always admired the true cowboy way because in the reality of it, they are great respecters of women, great respecters of keeping your word. It was often said that in those days, your word was your bond, that uh, contracts weren't needed, but a handshake would seal the deal. And I admire the Hollywood when they when they make the movies that portray the cowboys as as they really were. Now, there's always elements in every group that are uh, not as appealing as others and and have very nefarious uh, behavior characteristics. But there's enough of those good ones that really paint the picture of what the life was was like. A lot of cowboys are uh, very sensitive, actually to God's creations. They live in it and they respect it. And they know that the, you know, certain elements have to have to happen and, and show up to make sure that, you know, the grass grows and the cows get fed and uh, everything works the way uh, it's intended. There's a, another kind of a funny poem that I really enjoy. A dear friend of mine and I wrote this one together. It's called Psychosomatic. It has to do with the impressions and the influence of a mother on her children and including her unborn children and shows what a great influence they have in referring to, you know, how cowboys, true cowboys do respect women, what they stand for and how important they are in our lives. This story is weird. I'll tell you, I don't rightly know what to think. But I'll, make, I'll let you make your mind up your own self, because I'm a cowboy, not a shrink. They say the mind controls the body. Most folks swear it's true. But if you're one of those that don't believe it, and this here story is meant for you. I've had folks try to tell me, though I never believed it true, that what you are today is what your mother did to you. That while a woman's pregnant, her fear and fun and thoughts are making strong impressions on the bodies of her tots. Now, before you judge, just listen to what I'm about to say. This tale is true. Let's see if you won't change your mind today. This here lady was full pregnant one month until her due. Her family took her on a trip, even though her fear they knew. She had an overpowering fear of any kind of bear. It went way beyond normal like was a fear beyond compare. Yellowstone became the goal. All wanted to see the park. They'd heard the critters all come out and beg each day at dark. 
Well, she prayed no bears would be there, that they'd miss her just this time. She hoped her fears she'd conquer with reason or with rhyme. Now, the good Lord is known for mercy, especially towards those swollen few that bear the next generation and give life to the likes of me and you. But he don't always hogtie our fears because growth is needed and we're capable. So this maiden quickly learned tis a poor thing to fear the inevitable. She sat in the outfit on the passenger side and the cars stopped in an ominous line. She saw this here bear turn and walk straight towards her begging morsels on which to dine. With sweat on her palms and fear in her heart, she trembled as the bear came near. She locked the doors, the windows went up, and she hid her eyes in fear. The bear stopped right at her window and sniffed for a tasty treat. Curiosity, not hunger, raised him straight up on his two hind feet. She peeked open her eyes, and to her surprise, she saw these two huge paws. Now it was plainly seen, the bear weren't mean. What was viewed twas feet, not jaws. And now, my friend, for the story's end, stranger words you'll never meet. It affected the child. I know it sounds wild, but that baby was born with bare feet. That was written by you and a friend, right? Yeah. That was it. That was that was good. Like, how long did it take you guys to write that? And how did you go about the writing process? Well, this good friend of mine, he uh, he passed away last year, and he was like, uh, I lost my father fairly early in life, and and he kind of became a father figure to me, and we got together and we just clicked and. And uh, he was from Montana originally, and I was from Wyoming, and we had a connection. And he found out I, I like to do cowboy poetry, and he says, oh, I like to write. And so uh, I said, well, I've had a couple ideas. I, I, just, I just can't get it all together. He says, what are they? And so we got going, and he would write something and send it over to me, and I'd, and I'd add some, a few stanzas and send it back, and he'd write some more. And, and anyway, he'd just go back and forth. And, it, and that was probably – just two or three days that we wrote that he had a sense of humor that doesn't end, which, you know, we can really appreciate, but a lot of my poems have his influence all over them just because of, of who he was and, and how he looked at life. He'd always tell me, you got to find the humor in life. He says, it's there. It just depends on your, your attitude and approach as to how much you find. There's a couple that I really like to share and one, because it, as I said, my roots are in Wyoming and, and I love that state. Uh, I, I know it does have, doesn't have much to offer uh, a lot of people, but it gave me the world. Hold on. I'm going to correct you because Wyoming gave the world Chris Ledoux and <laughs> that is, that is enough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I sat across the table from Chris Ledoux and did an audit on his, on his books. He lives in KC, Wyoming, which is a town probably of just a few over a hundred people. And uh, I was working for this insurance auditing company. I got the audit and uh, we, we basically audit their money. And then that determines what their insurance rate will be. So anyway, I called him up and we lived in Sheridan, Wyoming, which is north of KC. 
in any way. So I was really excited. And I, I, of course I've loved Chris Ledoux from, from day one. Uh, his songs have a lot of meaning. Um, but anyway, so I called him up. I said, I got to do this audit, uh, Chris, and I need to meet with you and, and uh, go over your books. And he says, well, we'll have to, we'll have to meet with Ethel. And I says, Ethel. And, and, and he says, yeah, she's my bookkeeper. So we make an appointment. We're going to meet in KC, Wyoming. He said, well, just meet there on Main Street at the coffee shop there. And I says, well, what's the address? And he said, well, it's the only one. So you can't miss it. <laughs> so I get there first and, and I'm waiting inside and uh, up pulls this, uh, this van, family van, you know, uh, what do they call them? A custom van. But it was old and the one headlight was out and the taillight was broken and and he came in and he says, well, let's just go over to Ethel's place and, and we'll go through this stuff. And so I said, well, I'll follow you. And we went about a block and a half away and this little old house and had a rickety gate and overgrown with trees and, and uh, the gate was kind of busted. <laughs> and we sat on Ethel's front porch and she pulled out the books and it was green bar paper written in pencil. This was his money, what he paid his folks you know, what his expenses were. And I'd ask a question to make sure I was getting the right numbers. And she knew it all. She was sharp as a tack. I'm guessing she was early eighties. And anyway, and of course I had my, my CDs uh, with me and I begged a, an autograph on my CD cases and he just gladly signed them all. Just a golden guy, just a super, super person. So, uh, I don't know who wrote this poem. I, I didn't write it, but I just found it super humorous. Uh, old Jake, the rancher, went one day to fix a distant fence. The wind was cold and gusty. The clouds rolled gray and dense. As he pounded the last staples in and gathered tools to go, the temperature had fallen and the snow began to blow. When he finally reached his pickup, he felt a heavy heart from the sound of that ignition. He knew it wouldn't start. So Jake did what most of us do. If we had been there, he humbly bowed his balding head and he sent aloft a prayer. As he turned the key for the last time, he softly cursed his luck. They found him three days later, frozen stiff in that old truck. Now Jake had been around in life and done his share of Roman, but when he got to heaven, he was shocked. It looked just like Wyoming. Oh, there were some differences, of course, but just some minor things. One place had simply disappeared, the town they called Rock Springs. The BLM had been shut down and there were no grazing fees. And the wind in Rollins and Cheyenne was now a gentle breeze. The Park and Forest Service folks, they didn't fare so well. They'd all been sent to fight some fire in a wilderness called hell. Though heaven was a real nice place, Jake had a wondering mind. So he saddled up and he rode off, not knowing what he'd find. Then one day, up in Cody, on a cold fall afternoon, he saw St. Peter coming. And he knew he'd be there soon. Of all the saints in heaven, his favorite was St. Peter. Now, this line ain't needed, but it helps with rhyme and meter. So they sat and talked a minute or two, or maybe it was three. Nobody was keeping score. You see, in heaven, time is free. 
I've always heard Jake said to Pete that God will answer prayers. But one time I asked for help. Well, he just plain wasn't there. Does God answer prayers of some and ignore the prayers of others? That don't seem exactly square. I know all men are brothers. Does he randomly reply without good rhyme or reason? Maybe it's the time of day, the weather, or the season. Now I ain't trying to act smart. It's just the way I feel. And I was wondering, Pete, could you tell me what the heck's the deal? Peter listened very patiently. And when Jake was done, there were smiles of recognition. Peter said, so you're the one. That day, your truck, it wouldn't start. You sent your prayer a-flying. You gave us all a real bad time with hundreds of us trying. A thousand angels rushed to check the status of your file. But you know, Jake, we hadn't heard from you in quite a while. And though all prayers are answered, and God ain't got no quota, he didn't recognize your voice, and he started a truck in North Dakota. The thought that came to me is that saying, do you use prayer as a spare tire or a steering wheel, right? Uh, yeah, very that's good. A, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, and I don't know who wrote this one either. Shame on me for not investigating and finding the author. It wasn't me. I know that. But I call it cold-nosed. And it's uh, some people call it late. But it goes, late again? The third grade teacher said to Little Slim, when anyone was late for school, it usually was him. Well, it ain't my fault, Miss Addie. You can blame this on my pa. The reason that I'm three hours late is pa sleeps night in the raw. Now, Miss Addie had taught grammar school for 30 some odd years, so she asked Slim what he meant by that, despite her mounting fears. Full of grin and mischief in the flower of his youth, Slim and Trouble were old pards, but he always told the truth. You see, Miss Addie, at the ranch, this here low-down coyote the last few nights done ate six hens and killed Ma's best milk goat. So last night when Pa heard a noise out by the chicken pen, he grabbed his gun and said to Ma, that coyote's back again. Stay back, he yelled to all us kids. I wouldn't want you hurt. Miss Addie, he was naked as a jaybird. No pants, no boots, no shirt. To the hen house, on all fours, he crawled like an engine on the snoop. Then he stuck the double barrel through the window of the coop. As he peered into the darkness with coyotes on his mind, our old hound Zeke had done woke up and come a-sneaking up behind. We all looked on plumb helpless as Pa was cold-nosed without warning. Miss Addie, we've been cleaning chickens since three o'clock this morning. <laughs> yeah. I love these. These are good. Yeah, you know, I, really I meant to say at first that you got to let your mind go because cowboy poetry just paints a picture for you. And it's usually based on your own history, you know, of how life has happened to you. But it does. It, it paints pretty vivid pictures of what's going on. It does. And, and the thing too, like where you grew up in Wyoming and uh -huh. when you have that also, it kind of goes a little deeper. You know what I mean? Uh, yep, I do. Anyway, I've loved this. This has been really good. Um, thanks for all this. Why don't you uh, 
recommend some books where if anybody's interested in this or websites or anywhere where they can go read this or find some just for their own amusement? Yeah, the best thing to do is, you know, just Google it by the names of the poets I mentioned. Uh, Wallace McRae, spelled M-C-R-A-E. Waddy Mitchell, W-A-D-D-I-E, Mitchell. And uh, Baxter Black. If you Google that name and the word poems, they'll come up. Uh, they've all written several books. Wally McRae, he wrote one called Cowboy Curmudgeon. That's one of his his best books. There's another thing you can Google uh, Elko, Nevada, Cowboy Poetry Gathering. And they do one right here uh, up the mountain from us here in Heber City. And so I'm hoping once I retire, see if I can perform at that one and get involved in that. So they have some pretty big names that end up there and it's a good one. Well, Rick, thanks a ton for joining. This has been awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. After recording this show and editing it, I kept thinking about how more of this type of stuff is needed with a new generation of men in particular. I don't think there's a lot of stuff that we see these days that brings to mind the things that these poems brought to mind, if that makes sense. So men, go out there and start something new. If you are into poetry, I would recommend cowboy poetry because it is very fun. Anyway, we are going to end this one with another manly mystery sound. Let me know if you can guess it, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 